Are those your new curtains? Right there. Is. I need something that blocks like that amount of light. Yeah, definitely figuring out the lighting situation in here. This is my temporary office while the shed office is being uh, created. It's right there. There's no windows in there, so that's better. I feel like there just always has to be. There always has to be somebody working here who's getting a shed office. Absolutely, just continuing to carry the torch for Faith. I'm sure she appreciates it. How's the rest of the house yes. going? It's good. You know, moving is always a disaster in some capacity. Mm -hmm. So that was accurate this weekend. Um, yep. But we are here. So nice. It and feels I found good my charger. <laughs> good. Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, I made it through Monday on one laptop charge and then I went, oh shit, I don't know where my office box is. <laughs> so I was lucky that both of my, like, the, my work laptop and my personal laptop are the exact same computer, like down to the color. Yeah. So, I mean, diving I into uh, Apple compatibility issues, why do all of their laptops not have the same charger? It's frustrating. Don't know. Don't know. <laughs> that's probably, I'm wondering if that's how they designed it from the get go. I'm excited to have you on today because you're our resident product uh, guru. And today we are talking to that point about the first iPhone that ever went on sale. Um, Very exciting. I'm going to try. I'm like trying different spots in my office to see what works best for recording. There's a lot of noise bouncing out of my little closet office back there. So mm. now I'm facing the window and I feel like all the lights hitting my glasses. Every once in a while, a revolutionary product comes along that changes everything. On June 29th, 2007, six months after the iPhone was introduced to the world, it finally went on sale. Rich Samiro with CNET TV in New York City at the Apple Store, where the iPhone is set to launch later today at 6 o'clock. Right now, it's about 4.50 in the afternoon. Yesterday, when we were here, there were about 19 people waiting in line for this phone. Today, as you can see, hundreds more, all waiting for this brand new device. They sold 1 million phones in the first 74 days, which is like insane to me. Since those early days, the ensuing iPhone models have continued to set sales records and have completely changed not only the smartphone and technology industries, but the world as well. Development of the iPhone began in earnest in 2004 when Apple had a team of 1,000 employees that they had hired for the highly confidential project. It was led by hardware engineer Tony Fidel, software engineer Scott Forstall, uh, and design officer Johnny Ive. Then CEO Steve Jobs steered the team away from the tablet they were initially working on to build the phone, which was done in conjunction with Singular Wireless, which would later become AT&T. It cost about $150 million to produce, which is about $220 million in today's money, and took about 30 months to do. Steve Jobs unveiled the first generation iPhone to the public on January 9th, 2007 at the Macworld 2007 convention, which I'm sure was like the most exciting of the Mac conventions to ever happen, considering this phone came out. It incorporated a three and a half inch multi-touch display with very few hardware buttons and ran, ran the iPhone operating system with a touch-friendly interface. Uh, at that point, it was marketed as Mac OS X. Uh, it launched on June 29th, 
2007 at a starting price of $499, which is $730 today and still seems cheap considering how much we spend on phones. Uh, it required a two-year contract with AT&T, which I remember being really bummed about. Like, I think everybody was like, I want the iPhone and I don't have AT&T. I was one of the, the lucky few who already had AT&T, so. Oh, nice. I've been on yeah. Verizon for like an absurd amount of time, like 20 years or something. They released to other providers in like 2011. Um, as of November 1st, 2018, more than 2.2 billion iPhones have been sold. And right now they account for about 15.6% of the global smartphone usage. 15%? That number is astonishing to me. I would have thought it was at least 50. For the number of things that exclusively exist for the iPhone, I agree with you. I mean, just this morning I had a conversation with a gun IO client who is building an iOS app. And I had the question, you know, do you also plan to release this uh, on the Android store? I don't even know if that's what it's called. Um, and they said, no, you know, we're just, uh, we're, we're exclusively building it for the iPhone app store. And now just to, to know that that's, you know, 15% of global users, that's a really interesting choice to make. But I feel like a lot of times, I mean, I think I looked up something that uh, the amount of apps there are for the iPhone versus Android is significantly larger for Android. But any mm. product I've ever worked on, iPhone was the first thing they wanted an app for. Um, Super interesting. From a product standpoint, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> you would think you want to you market to it most amount of people but yeah maybe not and I, you know something that the 15 percent doesn't tell us right off the bat is what cohort of the global population does that 15 percent make up if it's 90 percent of your target users then yeah it makes sense to build exclusively or at least first for iphone users Oh, that is probably, that is a really good point though. If you're, if you're developing, you know, like what is the breakdown of that 15% in like the biggest technological markets? Maybe, maybe half of the people who live in the Bay area have iPhones, half of them have Androids. So in that case, mm -hmm. it's like, it makes sense to go about it that way, I guess. Um, yeah. I don't know. I've been, I've had a couple iPhones. I think that on the whole, I'm a, I love my Android phones. Oh, I I don't know if I've met someone who's had both. Yeah. I've what, gone back what and has forth. has been your experience? Yeah. Switching back and forth. I prefer like the customization, custom, custom, uh, what is the word? Customizability of the Android interface. Um, I do acknowledge that it is harder to get used to and it is harder to master. I feel like iPhone was designed right off the bat to appeal to the largest number of people to make it the easiest as possible to use. Mm -hmm. I like conned my husband into getting a, getting a Google phone at one point and it turned out to be like <laughs> the worst Google phone I had ever had. It was the only one, oh, no. the only Android powered phone he ever had. He'll never let me live it down. And he'll Bad never get another experience. Android. Yeah. 
yeah, his, his user experience wasn't great. Yeah. I mean, so in 2007, June of 2007, I was about to go into high school and I think I was rocking a pink Motorola, Motorola razor at the time. Oh, yes. Um, yes. Which now they, they've brought the razor back, which I'm very tempted to get one. Um, and I think I didn't get my first iPhone until maybe a couple years later. Um, still very early user relatively now that I'm looking at the numbers. Um, but I've had an iPhone ever since then, probably since 2010. I mean, I probably have gone back and forth. I, I'm sure I started on Android because, because I had a smartphone since I can remember, but mm-hmm. obviously I couldn't get having Verizon, I couldn't get an iPhone until at least 2011. Right. Which seems like so long ago and really isn't. <laughs> yeah, not not in the uh, long arch of technology history, but it was super interesting. Right. I had no idea that the initial project that the 1000 engineers were working on was a tablet and then converted to a phone project, which, you know, really kind of makes sense with the functionality that the iPhone has today, maybe not initially when it was released, but our iPhones and our smartphones can do pretty much everything that a tablet can do just on a smaller screen. And I think that's the expectation that most people have today of that. Um, but it's, it's funny that we still call it a phone because I probably use the phone <laughs> functionality on my iPhone. <laughs> like 2% of the time. Yeah. Yep. I rarely use the phone. I remember like when you had to have, you had minutes. Mm, yes. wasn't a thing. I don't know how I would ever reach minutes at this point. You can communicate solely through text, email. That's fine. I'm sure that that's a metric that is in settings. How many minutes I have used this month. I do think it's interesting that they still kept with the tablet idea and building out iPads. Did you find it? How many minutes? No. I couldn't. It'll be a... I'll find it and message you later. I mean, it it used to be very prominent, but now the key metric that they show you in cellular, cellular settings is how much data you've used. Yep. Yeah. Which mine is usually high. I use it also for like, if I, uh, if I want to work somewhere that's not home, I'll use, I have this, I have my phone and then I have a separate hotspot depending on where I am. Service in Asheville is atrocious. So uh, you have to have options. You'd think being in the middle of the city, you'd have great service and you just can't do anything. I mean, frankly, in Austin as well, there are the, the neighborhood that I just moved into, I, I'm on Verizon now, um, but I've got like one bar of service in my house. And if I go two streets over, it's perfect. So it's unpredictable. Never can tell. I think it's crazy that it took, I think that this is a theme that's kind of been coming up a lot this season and the um, history episodes is like how long it took to do an initial idea mm-hmm. and then how relatively short all of all of the innovation was after that mm-hmm. the iteration. So if you think like a thousand people working for three years is a lot 
of manpower, brain power, figuring out technological capacities. And now you look at like, you know, every year there's a new phone. Every year there's a new iPhone. I think that, I mean, at, at least to some degree, that's explainable by it's far easier to iterate than it is to create from scratch. Um, and, you know, there was, I think, like one prototype of a smartphone before the iPhone was released, but really not comparable at all to the functionality that the first iPhone released with. So I can imagine that, you know, probably half of the half or more of the complexity was just deciding what to what to release with, like what was enough or what was too much. And um, oh, that's a really interesting concept. Yeah. And how do you like get that was probably one of the first like personal computers of that size. And how do you get that much functionality into that small of a space? It's already going to blow people's minds. You know, no matter what you do, if you give somebody a tiny computer with a touch screen Mm -hmm. and it's the first one anybody has really interacted with, like, it's going to be amazing no matter how far you got in the project. Do you think there were things that they like tucked back in the corner? They were like, we'll save this for a future release. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I didn't pull up the, like, what were the standard apps that came with the first iPhone, I did find that uh, the the app store was part of the initial release, and there were like 500 apps that were there oh, wow. initially. So okay. even before they launched the phone, they had to have been in contact with other independent developers who wanted to put apps on the app store. Um, so I, I mean developing the iPhone was a feat in and of itself. Can you imagine trying to be an outside development team trying to create an app for a new (laughs) operating system that doesn't exist yet? Uh, That sounds impossible. And even, you know, like I'm sure that they were given like beta versions of whatever the iPhone was to Mm -hmm. test the app, but how stable were those? I think that though that was the time where it was like the big thing about the app store was like, there's an app for that. Yes. The and madness around the apps. Overnight, there was an app for everything and too many things. <laughs> yeah. Like that didn't need an app. It still doesn't. Right. I'm sure I have multiple apps in here. I mean, well, I'm, I mean, I get the now mine does the thing where it's like, hey, you haven't used this app in forever. We're removing it from your phone. And then you need it at a time when it's very inconvenient to try and get the app back on the phone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wonder what it was like to kind of be a part of the team that competed with that. Like against the iPhone? Yeah. I feel like one of the things that I've always liked about Android as well is that um, a lot of times features or uh, features or like, uh, I can't think of another way to say it, things that happen on iPhone that my husband gets like real excited about. I'm like that. I had that mm-hmm. on my Android two years ago. Oh, really? But I wonder where and when that shift took place because obviously mm-hmm. these phones, I'm sure somebody else would have come along with a smartphone, but um, 
I feel like the majority of what we have now is based on the model that iPhone started out with. So at what point did that kind of shift to where, mm -hmm. you know, like when the first iPhones came out, iPhone had to have a hundred percent of the market share of smartphones because they were it. Right. They were the only ones. Their iterations after that came with, you know, these annual product releases and so much fanfare and excitement around this new feature. Like even if it was inconsequential, it kind of makes you feel like, wow, this is the coolest thing ever. Um, yeah. It's almost consequential then, because it, it exists for the first time. Right. But even to your point, if it doesn't exist, exist for the first time, I bet you that Apple's marketing team finds a way each time that there's a new iPhone release to make it feel like it's the first time or that they've put a spin on it, which is just great product marketing on their part. It is like Apple's marketing, bar none, some of the best technological marketing that's ever existed. Mm -hmm. You really buy into like the, the feeling that they want you to have. And you know, it's, I mean, I, I do use an Android phone. Everything else is Apple. Like I haven't, I've, I only own MacBooks, iPads, you know, I've never, I've never delved into what those other companies offer for those. And I think it's because right. I'm still so tied to like the, like Apple's marketing, Apple's product marketing is amazing. I wonder how much of that innovation that they've had to have or had to kind of explore is because they have. Like if the if that is kind of like a catch twenty two, like we have this great marketing, so we need something great to market. It would be uh, fascinating to know who holds the influence in Apple's product development team. I mean, my gut says product. Everything's product driven in the end. Yeah, but if you don't have a great product to market, your job is so much harder. And I feel like Apple has just made it, Apple's always made it easy. Like the iPhone, even the very first one, you can't, there, there is nothing you could do. There are no metrics you could produce that would be better than we sold 74, we sold a million of these in 74 days. And I know that, um, you know, their, their contract with AT&T and that exclusivity, you know, you mentioned that it, it kind of limited the user base for the first four years um super interesting move and i'm sure that if we were back in those uh in those meetings discussing the pros and cons of that there probably were some very different strong opinions but i can imagine after having spent three years and hundreds of million dollars of investment partnering with a company like AT&T to probably subsidize the manufacturing and distribution of the phones was the way to make it happen. And so it was probably a trade-off decision, um, but one that obviously paid off for them. Yeah, hugely. Mm -hmm. You couldn't get, I couldn't get it. I wanted one. 2011 rolls around and it's finally like, I'm, I'm sure that, that if we looked at the numbers, there would have been like a huge explosion in in purchases of iPhones in 2011 because everybody could finally get them on on the provider they'd been working with or running with for however long they had. And then jailbreaking became a thing. God, I forgot about jailbreaking. Right? <laughs> 
I think I have a friend who still does that because he buys like weird phones from China. I'm not sure why. Maybe he enjoys the challenge of it. And just like slightly incorrect grammatical everything. <laughs> yes. Like, what did you load this with? It's like, it's like sl British slang. Where do you think the next iteration of this could go? You know, looking back at all of the different iPhone models that I've had, it feels like from a hardware perspective, there've been a couple of big changes that they've made and lots of mixed feedback about, um, you know, when, when they took the button away, like, oh, that was a huge deal. And then when the charging port changed and when the headphone jack disappeared, um, it feels like every time that they do something big like that to the hardware, people are pretty frustrated, but then almost overnight, it's just like, oh, this is the new, this is the new way. And on the operating system, it feels like it's hard to say this because it was so revolutionary not so long ago, but really what more could they do other than incremental improvements? It almost feels like we're at uh, like a bit of a plateau with new hardware aside from, I think. Yeah. Like there's not uh, nothing that can be done. I think it was within the past week that they made an announcement of yep. new iOS <laughs> updates and the, the feature to like very targeted Gen X millennial feature of get the transcription back of the person leaving you a voicemail while it's happening so that you can decide if you want to pick it up. Like, spot on good good, good feedback there love that i would love right that. um so like yeah there, there's still ways that it's evident that they're taking user feedback and and understanding ways to be i mean that's not even revolutionary that's going back to when we used to have house phones and voicemail recorders that would play things out loud but, yeah um, <laughs> just like continuing to improve it's crazy how like it kind of changed the whole um i feel like smartphones coming about uh changed the way that we feel like we have to be available mm. like when you have everything at your fingertips 100%. you have you have a phone you have your email you have mm -hmm. your messaging system for work you have a phone you have the internet. Mm -hmm. It's almost like all of that took, all of that just means that like everything can happen immediately. You're always available. You're always on. I would be interested to find like, you know, uh, some sort of feature that lets you not always be on aside from those, like the no phones. Yeah. I don't know. I can't remember if that's oh, what man. they're called. I've been, I've been tempted so many times to go to those. Oh yeah. But I can't navigate without Google Maps now. So, <laughs> yep. What would I, I do? Talking, I think I was talking to Regis about this, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, about, you know, like I've lived here a year now and I still can't get anywhere without Google Maps. How long will it take me to learn? I have no idea. Some days you just, you're like, do I have time to get lost? Yes. See, that's my thing. I am totally fine with getting lost at times. My partner, on the other hand, if I drag without directions, it's like, where are you going? Why are you taking this route? So we just look at Google Maps now. 
that seems my because I work from home. My husband has done. He's been out. You know, like he goes to work three days a week. He drives all over the city. His job is on like basically the complete opposite side of the city from where we are, and he drives a different route every time to make him get himself familiar with the city. Oh, interesting. Which I thought was really smart. Um, I'm. I'm not going to do that. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to rely on my smartphone. Like the predictability. Yeah. Yeah. As with all technology, there's good and bad that's come from it. The first iPhone really enabled the portability of people's lives. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there, there, are like a, there are many aspects of my job that I can do from a phone. Not that it's convenient or easy, mm-hmm. but, you know, it's kind of like if you, if you need to leave the house and you need to stay connected because you need to go pick up your kid from school, it's just as easy to carry your phone with you as it is a computer. I've tried walking around uh, mobile with my computer before. It's not very convenient. So, <laughs> I, uh, my boot camp, I went to school with a kid who was like super excited about everything. He, he was always working. So even walking to the train from class, he'd have it. He was like, hold his computer. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's not a choice I would have made in downtown Chicago, but he never, Mm -hmm. yeah, never dropped it, never got stolen. So that's not the kind of portability I'm here for. (laughs) No, I am here for it fits in my pocket. Yes. Yeah. Which it does. It's a, I say cheers to iPhone. Cheers. Cheers my seltzer water, my soda water, and Dr. Dre. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast powered by Gun.io. We drop two episodes per week. So if you like this episode, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice and come hang out with us again next week and bring all your internet friends. If you have questions or recommendations, just shoot us a Twitter DM at the Frontier Pod. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.